Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book. All right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 20. Novelization and Expanded Universe Special. Welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast that is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we're going to take a thorough look at one piece of literature that we've both read and determine whether or not it's worthy of its reputation or whether or not we would teach it in the classroom. Except for this month, which is a special episode focusing on novelizations and expanded universe novels and uh, the chuckle you heard a moment ago is my usual co-host i'm tom panneries and i would like to introduce the starsky to my hutch stella yes and friends i was almost not on this episode because i i was uh i don't know my mind was just uh, amidst the clouds i suppose and i was thinking about editing our previous episode went on a walk was actually thinking about this episode on my walk and then i came back went on the twitter and saw that required reading had posted that we were recording tonight and i had no idea so i quickly responded we are and uh luckily i was here that was at like 7:51, and it, uh, we started at 805 so I, I was very prompt post walk to get on there but but here i am so this is kind of funny that uh i'm just going i'm going for it well, I love how, like, I, I guarantee you that most of the people who read that tweet probably thought you were kidding. Anyway. I didn't know it was real. <laughs> um, hey, but there's an excuse for that. I mean, this is – we're recording this in May. Yeah. And, you know, May is one of the worst months to be Whew. a teacher. Um, it sure is. Despite the fact that it's currently Teacher Depreciation Week. Why so. do you keep calling it Depreciation I am not a fan of Teacher Appreciation Week. Oh, can you explain why? I just think it's very patronizing. I, oh, I don't know. There's okay. just something about it. It's like, you know, I don't know. There, I am not a fan of hearing the phrase, thank you for all you do. I feel like I'm being, I feel like I'm being patronized. Um, oh, you don't think that people mean it? 
wholeheartedly. I I just I sometimes I I it, I it to me it's like it's like a southern a southerner saying bless your heart. It's huh? just it's so like I don't know I just it. I'm not going to get off on too much of a rant here. Although the, the other the other th- reason I I don't like it very much is because of all of the years working in the school district where I used to work, where the teacher appreciation week was so like it was done so like half-assed and I don't feel I'm entitled to lunch or anything like that. But at the same time, like I will never forget one year and I tweeted about this and uh, the other day um, we got an email like teacher appreciation week. There's candy in the chocolate in the workroom, right? Yes. Yes. Uh huh. So I'm sitting in the workroom with, I'm in the um, workroom. I was either making photocopies or eating lunch with my friend and she and I are looking at this candy, and we realize that the wrappers are all pastel colors and oh. stuff. We looked at each other, and we're like, "This is leftover Easter candy," and okay. it was just it's stuff. So it's stuff like that. That being said, um, so far it's Tuesday when we're recording. So far, it's been very nice. Basically, the administration has has bought us lunch or or provided lunch like every day to the teachers, and they're doing like a um, and uh, on Friday, a bogo at Chipotle. There's still time. I, I I don't need E. coli. Um, so what's our topic tonight? Because this is our. This I is have a little no different. idea. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You barely showed up. I did barely show up. I marked you tardy. I'm, oh my gosh! You I probably you tardy yeah, and I got a demerit. You're gonna get a. You're gonna get an ISS. Yes. You're gonna get a lunch uh, detention. Oh, and school suspension, or a Saturday detention. It could be like those cool kids. Um, yes, so our topic tonight, because we started this, because this is only the, the second time we're doing this, so mm-hmm. I guess now we've hit a tradition mark, maybe. I don't know if it takes three times to do that. But for our 10th, or every 10th episode, we're going to do something special that could explore a different genre or a special topic that we want to explore. And if you remember for our 10th episode, we did autobiography, biography, and memoir. And we talked about those genres and then had a couple choices of recommendations that we thought would uh, be good for people to step on board or also to introduce each other to. And this time, we're going back and forth with, with what we could potentially do. We had a couple ideas. And then I threw out, basically because of the sickness that I've been involved in recently, I threw out this theme of uh, extended universes or expanded universes and novelizations. Yes, you did. And so... and. This- this stems from partially um, – well, you tell it because you were recently on an episode of another show talking about some expanded universe novels, and it kind of stems from that, and I wanted to yeah, give yeah. credit where credit is due because we're Absolutely. kind of extending that conversation. Unfortunately, the sickness that I'm talking about is the Star Wars novelizations or expanded universe sickness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess it's like a, 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 what, a lay? Is it a lay potato chip or is it a Pringle that you can't it's have lays. just one? Yeah, it's lay. Okay. Because apparently you can't just read one. It sort of spirals and, and goes out of control. <laughs> so I ended up reading the recent Thrawn and um, – 
by Timothy Zahn, and I think I was talking to Shag about it, and he had recommended read, you know, I, I should read the new ones, or I'm sorry, the, the original ones, mm-hmm. uh, Heir to the Empire yeah, and all yeah. that. And so I did, and then he had this idea of, well, you know, if you're reading that, I'll read the new one, and then we could sort of compare notes, um, because new reader versus old reader, and, and, and comparing our experiences of reading the original versus the, the revitalization. And so we both did that. Uh, I complained that I read the whole trilogy of the original Thrawn by the time he read the first Thrawn, but uh, he came back and, of course, said that you know he it was on hold, so he had to wait. But we, yeah, we went on. Give me those Star Wars. Yes, and and had this yeah had had this discussion which you can find on the Fire and Water Network, and we had this discussion new reader versus old reader and which Thrawn uh, we liked more and which one we would recommend and and I think we both. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it just comes down to which one you read first almost. And, and I think uh, we were just very much sort of digging our heels in and <laughs> trying to support the ones that we had. And I, I valued both of them, but I think uh, I, I did like the, the modern tale a little bit more. But yeah, so we had that conversation and some of those questions from there that I asked and we had discussions on bled over in here because I would like to talk about them with you as well. But yeah, just this idea of expanding universes as as a whole and, and you know what place in literature do they hold? And then also novelizations and not only novelizations of uh, perhaps movies or TV shows, but comic books as well because we know that sometimes they expand out and, and become a novel all of their own so I, I'd yes. like to yeah I thought it'd be fun to potentially explore this because I don't know that we'll ever pick a novel I mean we might but I don't know that it would be my first choice to potentially have you know an academic discussion on so I think mm-hmm. this is the chance to do it okay and I'd also like to just give um, one piece of uh, further listening uh, which is an old podcast episode it is if I'm if I've got my number correct it's episode 24 of short box showcase from back Ooh. in 2014 it's called issues in Canon and fandom and I'm gonna read the description that was on the um, the blog post, uh, which says, Professor Allen and Emily talk about the concept of canon as it relates to fandom in general and comic books in particular. Superman, Doctor Who, George R. R. Martin, Armageddon 2001, Star Wars, Supernatural, and Leverage, again, are all discussed in the short box. Um, it's a great uh, episode, and um, I listened to it uh, quite a while ago, So it's, uh, but, it is, but it is worth it, so... And I'm going to start us off with novelizations and just talking about what a novelization is because there's such a difference between what we're referring to as a novelization and an expanded universe novel. And a novelization is essentially almost reverse engineering and adaptation where when Mm. when we talk about adaptations, we talk about um, films, plays, etc. that um, have their source material in a novel or other work of literature. With a novelization, it's the exact opposite. A novelization uses as its source material a film or television show or some other medium of entertainment, a comic book, for instance, and puts it in novel form. So so basically uh, what we're going to talk about right now is just some of the ins and outs of 
um, what makes a good novelization a bad novelization and um, whether or not people should read them before after watching the actual source material. And uh, but before we even get to that, I would like to ask you, what is your like personal history with novelizations um, of of others other material? Like, you know, do you have any that you remember reading first, or uh, mm-hmm. any that you remember loving from when you were younger, or now, or or what's your uh, yeah? So what's your, what's your origin story? My origin story of novelizations. I <laughs> I have to say that I um, I stay away from them. I stay away from them actually, and I think my origin story because I can't think I can't think of any other potential example, with the exception of like children books. It's like mm-hmm. if they, uh, you know, if I saw a film and then maybe they had the children books that sort of explore that, but I can't really think back to that. But very recently, I read my first novelization, I believe. Do you want me to explain why I stay away from them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I stay away from them because uh, perhaps this is stubborn, perhaps this is closed-minded, but I feel like when I'm watching something – or maybe reading something if if it's a if it was an adaptation based off of a comic i would question you know if something is important why wasn't it in the quote unquote original so like for film you know i i feel like everything should be in that film that needs to be in the film if it was a comic everything that needs to be in there every important thing needs to be in there so why add to it or hopefully not take away, but you know what would be the uh, the purpose of that? So that's why I actually I, I stay away from them. Now I have heard that there are good ones in the Star Wars. I've I've almost um, gone towards those because I've heard I think maybe it's Revenge of the Sith or Phantom Menace or it's one of the prequel trilogy novelizations makes the the movie that much better. Or well, I guess I should say better because I know people don't like the prequel trilogy. So I've uh, been tempted to read it, but I. Still, I guess I just hold up the sort of the original as it should be. So unless I were very displeased, but if I didn't like it, I don't think I would go out of my way to then spend a week reading something that I didn't mm-hmm. like watching. So it makes me, yeah, I'm a, a little. They make me a little uncomfortable, to be honest. Am, am I alone in this? I I've only read a few, from what I understand, uh, from what I can remember. What I understand, <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I've only so read I a few, you. from what yeah. I from what I remember. Um, mainly because if like I have the choice, uh, especially even going even going back to when I was younger, um, if I had the choice between like reading uh, a novelization of a Star Wars movie and reading a Star Wars expanded universe book, I would pick the latter because I know the movie by heart, essentially. Mm, Um, I know that a number of novelizations are written from particular drafts of the script. Mm, Okay. So, so the drafts of the script say before like the final cut, so mm-hmm. that's where you would have certain things that are in the novel that um, do not make it into the movie. Like, for instance, um, I know that like it, it's not necessarily a novelization or an adaptation, but um, from what I understand, the Arthur C. Clarke novel version of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which oh he and Kubrick were kind of writing both at the same time, 
because so they were they were working on it together and the and from what I understand he um, Kubrick I think took longer to make the movie than the book and Clark had all of the crazy stuff in Clark's original novel ha- happens in Saturn and not Jupiter but Kubrick I, I can't remember if it was Kubrick couldn't come up with a convincing Saturn set or whatever and just decided to set it in Jupiter so when <laughs> um, when Clark wrote 2010 which was the sequel he based it off the film and not his original book so long story short I know that sometimes um, novelizations are written on earlier in the filmmaking process than the uh, than the film is before the film's completion and it's probably due to uh, the fact that very often publishers have to publishers have to meet certain deadlines in order to get things out to bookstores that do not necessarily match up with what a movie studio's deadline is for Mm. shipping out films so yeah but um i've read i've read a few here and there but not it's never been something that i always seek out and what's interesting is that i'm one of the you and i are kind of the last part of the last two generations that really would have encountered a lot of these i I don't think they're as common as they used to be i know that there are for instance star wars movies still have novelizations um, yes. I wonder if that's more for the fan value and the and the and the kind of the tradition of it rather than what used to be basically like. Hey, you can read the book and it, maybe they actually sold pretty well to my mm. to my knowledge. Like because you know way back in the day you couldn't necessarily get a movie, um, so you had to. So you picked up with the best thing you could, which might have been a book version of the movie. Um, you'd had to wait until it was re-released or something, and then later on released on video. Um, you talked about children's adaptations or children's books, and I had a number of those for Star Wars when I was a kid. Either like picture books that told part of like Return of the Jedi. Um, like I had one called The Ewoks Join the Fight, which was basically... Oh. Yeah, it was basically a counter with the Ewoks, and at the end, the Ewoks decide to go fight, um, you know, the rebel, fight the mm-hmm. Empire. For a number of our of our older friends, it was records. For me, it was books with cassettes where it was the picture and, and you know, R2-D2 beeps and you turn the page. Um, and then there was the, what was called the storybook, which was a summary of the movie with full color pictures from the movie. So I had those for Star Wars Empire and Jedi, and I had it for the last Starfighter of all movies as well. And it really was like sometimes you didn't even read the read the text of what was going on. You just flip through the flip through the book to see the pictures from the movie, especially like with Empire and Jedi before they came out on home video. So it was like one of your only ways to see stuff from those movies. So that was mm-hmm. that was my earliest kind of idea. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about like you know paperback books that you <laughs> usually buy. Sure. And uh, you know I've I've only read like two that were based on comic books, and I've read uh, recently I've read a couple that were based on movies. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you in that boat where I if I have to choose between the two, I prefer the other. Yeah. So. Which is funny because I like to read uh, books before I go to see their movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. I often will do that, but yeah, I just don't like. And often you'll lose things when you go from one to the other. But yeah, I just don't like to go from the movie to the the book as much. Yeah. 
But getting into, we've already talked about what they are. We talked about our kind of personal experiences with them. Um, let's talk about what makes them quality. Uh, okay. So, like, when when you go into picking up a novelization of, say, um, I don't know, The Empire Strikes Back or something. Sure. Um, what are you looking for? What will make this good? What will make this stand out to you? I think if the film had things, uh, had questions, had questions unanswered, or perhaps there were leaps or something that there were gaps, uh, sort of off panel land, I would love to see a novelization fill in those gaps and give detail because I do recognize that while I said, you know, if it's important, it should be in the film. Books have the opportunity of taking more time because I feel like the page count, I don't know that an editor would say, please get your page count down. They might, you know, if it's a thousand, but I, I think there's a, a freedom there. So being able to explore maybe gaps of time or answer questions that maybe were, were left unopened because I feel like, for example, you were talking about Star Wars because I think there is a gap of time between the film coming out and the movie coming uh sorry and the book coming out potentially mm-hmm. i think i i would hope that maybe uh people would listen to maybe fan reactions to a certain extent um and you know if there were questions or does it make sense or if they stood back and said you know how could we explain this that those sort of details can be added um i think also just giving more character description or motivation because with books you can really get inside a character's head being a third person narrator omniscient narrator whereas you're not going to have an over you're not going to have a harrison ford and blade runner having a running narration go i guess that was a theatrical version but you know having a running narration that that's not going to happen in the film so yeah just learning more about the characters if there are any gaps of time or setting things up uh, that would be great and uh, any questions that might have remained from the film or had been raised by the film maybe they are given that opportunity to be answered yeah i agree and and the character description in the the third person omniscient narrator i think is one of the strengths of a novelization yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really being able to get into the head of some of these characters in a way that you just can't in the film because it's just not possible aside from the fact of a voiceover or the character breaking the fourth wall which isn't always going to help for the narrative you know the narrative in, in the film um Sometimes you do get some what we, we I guess we would call deleted scenes. Yes, yeah, and they're interesting to see. Um, or you can uh, in one of the ones I read recently, everything that was in the film was essentially there, but you could tell where the filmmaker had trimmed just a little bit for like tightness and pacing. That if it had been in the film, it wouldn't have worked. You know, like the the longer scene would have wouldn't have worked. He made the right cut, but in the novel, it just it works very smoothly. Mm-hmm. So it's just for me, it's interesting to see that because sometimes you can see some of the cuts that were made, and you understand the reason behind some of those cuts that were made, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I see where that story is tighter in the movie for the sake of the movie. And a lot of times, it's just like little stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, the characterization I think is the most important thing to me because and and getting some answers to those unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. So if if we're so we're going in there and and perhaps maybe like especially if we're we're staying in the realm of like science fiction, 
deeper description of worlds in a way that you can spend more time like you know if you're going to a Dagobah or a Hoth or or a City Alpha 5 or, or any other planet or even the neighborhood where these characters live you can spend a little more time with scene setting and description than you can in a film you know and mm-hmm. I think it, it it makes the it makes it a little richer in terms of, of what you can do with it mm-hmm. what do you not like or what do you think these things fail at or, or not do well? Like, what makes a bad novelization, basically? I would say cutting and pasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. would be Basically taking the film and just it being the same thing. Because, again, you know, if I've gone to see the film and I enjoy it, I don't want to read the exact same thing. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I'll contradict myself because, of course, if I do read a book and then there's a film adaptation. I kind of, I don't want it to be the exact same thing, but I do want, you know, the parts that I really like to still be, I want it to stay pretty close to it, but you know, just, I think that's lazy to just like slap it on there. Cause that's not, there's no originality there. You're just taking what was given to you already and putting it in there. So I'd be pretty disappointed if, um, you know, everything was the exact same and there are no differences. Yeah, it kind of feels like that would be a waste of money. That was one of my <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's one of my beefs with the adaptation of the the comic adaptation of Return of the Jedi that mm. Marvel put out. Now, I've read the, I read all three of them, um, and the same team that did Empire did Jedi, and the Empire one I really enjoyed, but the Jedi one it seemed like really rushed. So the climactic stuff, it was almost like you were just looking at stills from the movie with dialogue over them. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe back when I was like a little kid in 83, 84, reading that, um, I would have been like really, really like psyched about it. But um, rereading it a couple of years ago for, you know, because I was reading through the Star Wars omnibus, it, it didn't strike me kind of struck me as it was just it felt very very cut and paste um Mm. but you're right and the other thing that i think is is important is um it it's not easy to do a lot of action very well um on the page especially when you have when you have guns and spaceships and all these things and and if the writer is not getting that stuff across in a way that is um dynamic and imagery filled and um, really kind of in a way that is gripping and that you can you can see the ships firing you can hear the John Williams score like that sort of stuff if they're really not gripping you with what is supposed to be like the big climactic battle and things like that that it's it's falling short so like you, there I think there's some pressure placed on people who are adapting these for a novel sure where, yeah you know your audience is expecting to be wowed just as much in the page as they are on the screen Mm-hmm. Um, and when that falls flat, it, it, you really it, the novel then just kind of becomes a chore to to watch, to read, to read. Jeez. I mean, you know, words I know make pictures in your mind. <laughs> words. <laughs> Me say them. Me fail English? That's impossible. So, in your mind, should they read them before or after the original? Now, in some cases, yeah, such as, say, I think um, The Force Awakens and, and The Last Jedi, I think, 
the novels were published or hit shelves after the film came out. And I want to say that was done on purpose to avoid spoilers. Mm. Um, so in, in the, if you saw the Phantom, not the Phantom, the Force Awakens and mm. you saw The Last Jedi opening weekend, you had no choice. But in other cases, it's very possible to read the novelization before seeing the movie. What is your take on this? Oh, boy. Yeah, I guess it's going to be user preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels it feels different from me uh, for me reading a novel, uh, a book and then a movie based off of the book because I would do it in that order if I were reading, say, Gone with the Wind and then want to watch Gone with the Wind, I would mm-hmm. do it in that order. But because it's based off of the film, I would go with the original first and then fill in the gaps. Um, I, but I, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it would make me feel really uncomfortable to, to potentially do that. Cause I, I think also, um, I know that, uh, shoot, I've forgotten her name. Jody Hauser is writing the con- comic adaptation of Thrawn, the new Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend read, cause a comic is going to be cutting out way lots of stuff, I would say compared to a novel. So I would suggest, you know, re- I just think reading the original or doing whatever with the original would be better and then go back and, and fill in the gaps with the other thing. I think your experience would be really crazy. Yeah. I I would see the um I would see the film before reading the novel because I think reading the novel it will be my approach usually is I wonder how they put this across. I wonder what else is in here. I wonder how they're going to relate this scene or that scene. So in other words, I'm going to the novel scene in some cases going like, I wonder how they're going to do this. Yeah. And knowing, and I think that having seen the film, the film's in my head. So that does give me a little bit of a cheat in terms of having to visualize, visualize certain things. Mm. And if, if, to me, if it's working, if I can still see the movie in my head and then I can almost see like the extra stuff they have in there with yeah. the actors, like me kind of picturing the actors playing out those scenes that weren't in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I would be, I would be one to watch the, watch the film first. And then inevitably you'd be disappointed because you would be reading this book and hopefully there are details that expand upon uh, upon different things like we had talked about mm-hmm. and you're going to go into the film and they're not going to be in there and then you're going to be like say what why wasn't yeah. this scene in there and so which i guess is the problem that at every you know film adapt adapting a, a book has but yeah i think it might just be safer to go from one to the, from the film to the other yeah well and in the case of film versus a, a novel if you can, either way, in, in either direction, if you can look at the film, like I said earlier, and look at a scene that was in the novel that's not in the film, and you and you can be like, I see why they trimmed that, I see why they cut that, mm-hmm. then they're doing they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Like, because there's stuff like um, one of the most celebrated adaptations of a novel on film of all time is To Kill a Mockingbird. With Gregory Ooh. Peck, right? I had no idea. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it, that's it, it's a lot of people. Your shirt's movie. not gone with the wind. Gone with the wind is another one. Um, the Great okay. Wrath had one. There's many, many, but I, I think of sure. I think of Mockingbird. I think of that, and there are things that are cut from Mockingbird, um, entire subplots in some cases. Yet at the same time, 
I think it works, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, there's, you know, there's, I'm sure if, if I were to break down movie versus book, there's things about characterization where, you know, I could nitpick the crap out of it, but at the same time, like I can see why they cut certain things out of the book because of, you know, how much you have to fit into two hours versus how much, you know, having a certain amount of pages to work with or whatever. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, um, and I knew this was going to be the shorter of our two discussions mm-hmm. because we really do want to get, take a deeper dive into the expanded universe thing because mm-hmm. that is where we don't always live there as readers, but you and I do sometimes spend some serious time there in various, uh, and it's usually about, it's usually sci-fi stuff, um, or, or popular movie franchise stuff. But before I do, uh, before we do have one last question, uh, before we get to our recommendations of each of these. And the question is, does the existence of this genre lack, uh, show a lack of creativity? Like, is this, I mean, in other words, is this necessary or, or is, is it a, what, what's your take on it? Uh, this is a controversial question and, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm the one who wrote it down, but it's something, it's something I think a lot about. And as a fan of Broadway, you know, there's sort of the, the snobby people, which I'm, I'm certainly a part of who very much love original musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, Dear Evan Hansen is, is an original musical and it's awesome. But then there are awesome musicals that, you know, are, are based off of something else like The Light and the Piazza, which is beautiful, is based off of uh, the film, and I don't think there's a book. And then there's the Bridges of Madison County, you know, so something like that. So even though something's based off of something, doesn't necessarily lessen its art form. But I just sort of wonder, you know, is is creativity? De- I mean, are any new things coming out anymore? And I guess I just wonder the purpose of novelizations because it, it just goes back to my my original thought of why it makes me uncomfortable and nervous to read them when we're watching something or reading something that's the original concept. Shouldn't everything important and all the details that the creator wants to put out be already there? Why would there? Why should there be a need to expand upon it? And and I know that it's uh, it's good to have expansions and things like that. But I just wonder, you know, why? Why is there a need? And so, uh, I I think I could <laughs> go either way with this. But I guess I just wonder about, you know, creativity and and are we can we produce anything? new anymore or are we always going to be based off of some sort of snippet of an idea so I, I don't know that I have a have an answer for this necessarily but it's just something that I think about when we're talking about something based off of something else intentionally mm-hmm. so does it feel like it's a product rather than it's a um, creative endeavor I yeah you know what I mean like it's it's, it's yeah I mean clear I mean on some level clearly it is cashing in Right on, or potentially cashing in because it is a—it's almost like a licensed property bit, um, and and I do I do see that. Um, at the same time, though, there is something to be said about the creativity of some of the stuff that I have read, where they are able to fill in gaps, they are able to 
play with characterization or play with perspective and narrative that you don't necessarily get from a movie that um, enriches the experience of seeing the movie. But these are not the type of novels that are going to be held up next to source materials for great adaptations. You know, I mean, and, mm. and this is sounding, this is coming off as really snotty, snobby of me because I'm sure that somebody would take Alan Dean Foster's adaptation of Star Wars and put it up against Gone with the Wind or something and be like, now it's mm. just as good. And I'm sure that, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. You can't argue taste. Copyright Michael Bailey. But, um, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, I, I do understand what you're saying about how, like, you know, you're, it's almost like you're being commissioned as a writer to do it, as opposed to, um, coming up with, coming up with something a little more original. Cause I mean, you are, you are essentially hired to work on expanded universe stuff, but at the same time, there is quite a bit of creativity involved with that. Um, depending on how much control the studio or licensor has over the property. You know, I don't know how much the editors are, how, for instance, I don't know how much Lucasfilm is dictating to Chuck Wendig what he can and cannot do in the Aftermath trilogy, you know, like, mm, and sure. things like that. And how much are they, how much is Disney or Lucasfilm dictating, dictating to Timothy Zahn? Um, and I know that had, I've heard stories of like when Marvel had the license for Star Wars, there were things that they couldn't, couldn't do and things like that. So you have to, if you're being put in those restrictions, sometimes you do have to get creative and sometimes restrictions like that do bring out creativity. So I think it does kind of go both ways. There's definitely a gray area, but I understand the criticism of essentially an essential lack of originality on the novelist part because they are essentially putting out a product as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, their own creative vision or something. But in the same way, maybe it's almost like they're covering a song. And if you hear a cover version of a song, sometimes the best ones are ones that take that song and do something really interesting with it, as opposed to just basically being a, a note for note cover that you're going to forget that was ever done at one point, you know? Mm, sure. So. All right. So let's, let's recommend a few. Let's talk about a few that we have read and then we'll move on to the expanded universes, which you're going to talk about. So, uh, why don't you Whoa! go ahead? <laughs> yeah, I only have one. I've let you down, sir, That's but it's basically the only one I've ever read. It is, Greg Rucka's masterpiece, Batman No Man's Land. Uh huh. And I recently, now I recall, I recall Michael Bailey actually <laughs> constantly reminding me that I should read this, especially because Oracle has many diary entries in there. Mm. And so because I knew this episode was coming up and because my coverage of No Man's Land is coming up, I thought I'm actually going to sit down and read it. And I'm very happy that I did. Now, it's been a little while since I've read Batman No Man's Land <laughs> in comic form. So it was uh, I, I can't I wouldn't be able to tell you what details were added and which were not. But I once I read that comic, I feel like I'm going to have more insight, character insight, especially 
the Huntress and Barbara relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassandra getting to know Cassandra a little more deeply. Um, unfortunately, because I knew it was going to happen to Sarah Essen, anytime I saw her and Jim, it sort of built up because they have these wonderful scenes together. And then I was just baiting. I was waiting with bated breath about, you know, oh, no, when is this going to happen? But it was just, it was really well done. And I felt like it was written in the spirit of the original comics, but uh, was so fluid, you know, being able to, because you lose so much when you are taking away the images. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to portray with words what the images have so beautifully captured is, is a wonderful thing. And I think Greg Rucka did a wonderful job. So I highly recommend it. I think also the uh, the audio uh, adaptation I've, I've heard probably also from Michael Bailey. From graphic is, audio? <laughs> yes. Is is also well done. So I yeah I recommend that for any Batman fan or especially No Man's Land fan. I've never read that. I've heard really good things about it. So I'm gonna track that one down. I did read. Oh, it's at our library. Oh, cool. I did That's read. Where the, I got it. Yeah. I did read um, years ago, and I still have my copy. The Denny O'Neill adaptation of Nightfall. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's been like twenty something years since I've read that because I read it when it came out. Um, and I also read Roger Stern's adaptation of uh, The Death and Return of Superman. Um, the which, Roger Stern? Yeah, the Roger Stern, the, the comic Oh, writer. wow. He wrote, he wrote um, I think it was called The Death and Life of Superman. I think it was called, it was, um, I have my copy up on the shelf as well. Uh, and I remember that being very good. But like I said, I haven't read those since they came out in the early 90s. Um, I think the prequel adaptation that I, because I, I think I this has been recommended to me as well. I think it's Revenge of the Sith, because um, Mike and Andy and a couple other people said that if you read the books Labyrinth of Evil, if you read La- this book, the book Labyrinth of Evil and then Revenge of the Sith and then the novel Rise of Lord Vader, you get like almost a mini trilogy within the prequel trilogy. Of okay. the final fall and, and of Anakin Skywalker and the rise of Darth Vader. Now I've read Rise of Lord Vader, but I haven't read the other two. Um, I did read Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and I actually really liked the novels because they do get into Anakin's head a little bit, and they do mm-hmm. flesh out things a little bit more, okay. and they're paced a little bit better than some of the parts uh, some of the parts of the movies. Because those movies are really flawed and they drag in a number of places. <laughs> um, the two that I, I have also, I've also read a few Star. I've, I think I've only read. I have, I have the first four Star Trek movie adaptations. I've only ever read the motion picture, but I read it back in junior high school, so I don't remember what it was like. Um, the two that I'm going to recommend: one is a novel, and one is a series of novels. Uh, the novel I will recommend, which I just recently read. It's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, it was written by... It was actually written mostly by Steven Spielberg with somebody else ha- helping him, and I can't remember who helped him. Um, I had I recently saw this on the at the Paramount Theater. I took Brett to, th- to see it when it was playing at the Paramount Theater in downtown Charlottesville, and he loved it, and I loved it. And I hadn't seen... I hadn't watched it all the way through in, in years, and 
um, one of the things about this novelization that really gets into the head of Roy Neary, you know, Richard Dreyfuss's character, and it shows mm. this nervous, this mental breakdown he goes through as a result of this close encounter he has seeing this UFO and how he's essentially slowly losing his mind, but he doesn't understand what exactly is going on in his head. And he also get this sort of how his kids, how his family gets more and more scared of him. And it's it, it really like the movie does a really, really good job of getting that across. And then with the novelization, it's just as rich and it adds a little more, another layer to it. So I really, really enjoyed that novelization. I read, I think I read it in like a day and a half. It was really quick. Um, the other one that I would recommend, and I haven't read these in years, but I do, I, I, I last year I, I did an episode of my other show, Pop Culture Affidavit, with Donovan about this. <gasps> and this was Robotech. So, from, oh, no. now from what I understand, because I'm not, <laughs> my, my experience with like anime kind of scratches the surface of like, you know, okay. the important text, like, you know, Akira and a couple of other things and, and then sure. Robotech, right? So I sat through and watched all of Robotech, um, which was on Netflix. I think it's still on Netflix, but it was on Netflix. And um, years ago, uh, back in the 90s, when when Borders first opened in oh, my town, Lord, yeah, so remember Borders? They had all, at what the time was all 18 Robotech novels. And it was first generation, second generation, third generation. It started with the SDF-1 arriving on Earth, like Zor sending the SDF-1 to Earth, and going all the way through the Macross saga, uh, the, which is the first generation, the Southern Cross, or the Masters, which is the second, the Invid War, which is the third, and then the Sentinels, and following up with, a, with what was essentially an original novel called The End of the Circle, which basically finished everything up because the Sentinels never really got off the ground, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But it was written by, uh, the name on the book was Jack McKinney, but it was basically a, a pen name of two different people who were writing the, writing the oh. novels. And from what I understand, they're kind of like, they're not considered canon at all in, in the Robotech world. And there was some controversy over some of the changes they made, but for a series that at that time I hadn't watched in, in years, back when I read them in high school and college. And then I really loved the novels. I was, there was just, they, they put the right amount of stuff into them. Um, they built the world around them. They tied the Dana Sterling stuff into the Macross stuff really, really well by having her flash back to her childhood and that she had been essentially because her parents went off with Rick Hunter on the SDF three that she was raised by like those three Zentradi spies, you know, the, from who were the guys they, they had integrated themselves into and they gave them more characterization. So it was just, I just remember, I have really fond memories of those and I would recommend to anybody who likes Robotech, just track those down just to see what they're like because they're really fun. And if you can actually track down the actual books, the covers to those books, the original version of those books were gorgeous. They were like <laughs> painted, covers of you know mecca and the characters and stuff and uh i would recommend the jack mckinney robotech novels if you can find them and unfortunately and this is something that 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 i have to emphasize now and, and i'll emphasize later on a lot of the books we're talking about at least what i'm talking about that are on my list are out of print 
because they were never meant to stay in print beyond the time at which the product was originally out. So Star Wars is probably your exception to the rule. Um, I have all three of the original trilogy in one book that I found at Target a couple of years ago, right around like, you know, the time The Force Awakens came out. I think I picked it up. It was like a three-in-one paperback. I think I picked it up for like seven or eight dollars. That was a novel that was, the, the first one was published 40 years ago. You know, books like Star Trek The Motion Picture, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, The No Man's Land, The Death and Return of Superman, Nightfall, these are things that aren't being printed at the moment. So the place where you're going to want to go is either your local library, because they might have some of these things. Uh, if you have a library that's been around for a long time um, and has a deep, deep paperback collection, or a used bookstore. And we have, we have a number here in Charlottesville. I highly recommend the book room, which is up. Um, the people, people not in Charlottesville are not going to know when I say this. It's up on route 29 near our Starbucks in that Staples shopping center. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just wall to wall paperbacks and it's, wow. um, do they have a good star Wars section? They have a good sci-fi section and they have a good like licensed property section. Um, it's, okay. it's really, really solid. Um, now I it may have been picked clean by this point, but um, uh, they do have they do have a good section for these sorts of things. Yeah. So if one of our listeners travels 200 miles to get there and there's nothing there, are you going to apologize to them? Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. So <laughs> so that covers novelizations, and like I said, it we, sure does. And I, I feel like we probably went probably did a decent job of at least kind of like painting a good portrait of it, but um, we do want to really talk about expanded universe stuff because that's where we've we've done a lot of a lot of reading in, especially recently, at least with one of us. Mm. Uh, so why don't you take the lead on this one? Against my will have I done a lot of reading with it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so expanded universes or extended universes, I think it could go either way. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is the idea of a media franchise. So TV, film, um, I guess that would be, I guess, come. Comics could work, but that's, I mean, it's its own universe, so I don't know as much about that. But I would say TV and film, and they're being extended with other media, uh, and this usually pops up as original novels or comics. And then, of course, we do have uh, fan fiction, potentially. So that's our idea of what an expanded universe is. And one, would you add anything to that? Would you say that's a pretty good definition? No, I think that's, I think that's exactly what my definition was, yeah. Okay. Now, one question that I, I brought up with Shag, when I, your best friend, when I was recording with him on giving the Star Wars, is what differentiates these published works from fan fiction that uh, I could go and uh, read on the internet. Besides the obvious that of course they're, they're published and the, the fan fiction on fanfiction.net is not published. Uh, it's a hard one. I don't know. I, I think that it, they overlap in some cases, especially if the person mm -hmm. writing the novel is, a fan of the work. 
I guess it depends on how self-serving the, the it is. Like some, I see. I don't have a ton of experience with fan fiction, and the fan fiction I've written has written, ten, not written, read. Oh, okay. I was getting day, really excited. I thought, please, it. please send me the link. No, I want to read no. it. Okay. Um. So, uh, no, I've never ri- actually written down <laughs> any fan fiction. There's always been in my head, you know, oh, this would be a great story for the. You know the Titans or something, but yeah. beyond beyond, well, remember, like, yeah. Um, what was that line that Ian Miller sent us? Something about it was like being hugged by Superman was like touching a ray of the sun or something like yeah, that, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the one I've the very few things that I've read were like really really self serving to the author, mm. and so it was just kind of like uh, you know I I think that if you're I think you really, as a as an author of anything that's a that's a well known licensed property, you have to know that you are writing for a very mass audience, and in some mm. cases, a very like fervent audience. Like they they have their idea of what Star Wars is in their head, and um, they expect certain things out of you, and you're kind of under that obligation. So if you're not working within the kind of realm that has been created and you're kind of going off in your own direction because you feel that that's what you think you want to do or that's you want to do with the character or so and and, you know damn the continuity or damn whatever Mm -hmm. i don't Mm -hmm. think that's a really good job and we've seen that with comic books as well when a writer a new writer comes on to a book that has been around for a while or a character has been for a while and they're like, well, I'm just going to write the character the way I want to write the character and really doesn't really pay much attention to the success, what's made the character successful, mm-hmm. you know, or what's been going on with the character. And they kind of just take, they just, it feels like it's not a really good fit. And I think that, you know, I, I so I think, I think that's where like the, where the good and the bad of these things can happen, and um, I, you know, I, I, I guess maybe fan fiction in general. I don't know. I see the thing. I can't. I can't really be an authority on fan fiction because I don't really. So I'm not going to speak too much to it. Maybe there's a better editorial process for an for an extended or expanded universe novel. Yeah. And maybe there's more oversight mm-hmm. by the owner of the copyright. Lucasfilm, Paramount, MGM, Disney, whoever is putting it out, Marvel, DC, whatever. If there, maybe there's more oversight, and that's like the major definition that there's a that there that they have to report to a gatekeeper, yeah, so to speak, rather than the fact that you know, well, I sent this to my friend to edit, and you know, <laughs> it came out, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think you know once the once the work is published, I mean, you can basically consider it canon. More or less, yeah, right? Whereas with fan fiction, you know, you, you press submit, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid that's probably not going to be canon. I think, you know, to a certain extent, I, I would say that all expanded or extended universes are fan fiction mm-hmm. because um, you would hope that the, the writers are fans first, and um, 
you know, writer's second, I guess, uh, or I, I guess it depends on what your priority is. But you want someone who loves the characters, who loves the property writing it, not someone who just sees it as a job and is taking notes and writing it down because I think you can tell that. You can tell when someone really loves something and when someone's just sort of writing it out to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it, it, literally I, I think everything is fan fiction because it's written by fans for fans. But you, you just have you're, – you're right. You know, you've got that editorial process. I think that there is this hierarchy. I think there is someone calling the shots up there because uh, at least from stories that I've heard uh, both from panels that I've listened to or interviews, you know, there are some things that can't be used because they're going to be used in other novels or some authors are asked to, can you please introduce this sort of thing, and it will have ripple effects elsewhere. So uh, that <laughs> – which works out if it's the same author. Um, and unfortunately, you know, or I guess fortunately with fanfiction.net, we'll just say, I know there are other, other places out there. They can do whatever they want, which is really awesome because the only fan fiction really I've read are romance fan fiction, (laughs) shipper fan fiction, which especially with the Dick and Baz, of course, and, uh, Hawk Girl and Green Lantern. And I love it because it's, it, well, it's not canon, unfortunately, even though it, it, it's based off of actual events that have happened. But it just gives me, you know, more opportunity to experience some shipping between these, uh, these characters. And, uh, because they're written by people that, like me, you know, I could have practically done it. They can do whatever they want, basically, and it's not going to, ruin the character for somebody else. I mean, you could potentially disagree with whatever direction that the the story has taken, but it's not quote unquote canon. So no, I think there's more freedom with that. Um, uh, those are scary. <laughs> I bet scary. they are. Oh dear. You have to watch out for the R and M rated ones. Uh-huh. That's when you know, uh-huh. why are you saying that? Um, what are you insinuating? I, I'm not insinuating anything. You're the one who's getting defensive. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I ever this I, I remember this happening around the time of like oh, when the last like two or three Harry Potter novels came out. Oh boy! And fans were getting up. There were there was like this, and it was probably like a very very small contingent of fans that were actually getting upset that J.K. Rowling took the characters in certain directions that their fan fiction didn't predict. Oh. Like, they got had gotten so wrapped up in their own kind of headcanon, their fanon, uh-huh. if you will. I want to say that's their an Emily. Fanon? I want to say their fan canon. I want to say that's okay. an M that's an M Middleton saying, but um, oh. I'm pretty sure, sh- I want to say, like, on that episode that I mentioned about, of Short Box Showcase, they talked about that. Not the Harry Potter thing, but they talked about, like, headcanon and fan canon. And, and I think if you get too wrapped up, kind of, like, too self-absorbed into your own, like, this, this is like, so, like, you feel like you own the characters now, as opposed to, say, J.K. Rowling, um, that, that's when it's, that's when fan fiction, I think, is kind of, like, <laughs> this is, like, one of the downsides of it. Um, yeah, I think some of that, like I said, some of that gets like really, really weird. Um, and, and in some cases people get really attached to, uh, you know, (laughs) their idea of what a character should be like, as opposed to, you know, what the actual creator was like. Um, I wonder, especially with these current wave of Star Wars novels, 
if certain plot elements are also being dictated to the writer. Like, for, um, like, did, uh, oh, who wrote Phasma and Bloodline? Claudia Gray. Did Claudia Gray pitch Phasma to Disney and Lucasfilm? Or did Lucasfilm tap her and say, we want you to write Phasma's origin story? You know what I mean? Like, Sure. Like, are they, do they have, like, do they have a master list of extended, expanded universe novels at Disney and Lucasfilm saying between um, Force Awakens and, and Last Jedi and then Last Jedi and Episode Nine, we want these certain stories to be told. Go find the writers who are going to do it. And they have, mm. for all you know, they have an abstract or they have just an idea, like an elevator pitch, and it's the writer who fleshes everything out. But I, I wonder if that's also how these things are are at least currently done you know are they commissioned to do specific stories i just want to woman explain you for for a short time and say that claudia gray didn't write phasma oh shoot sorry who wrote phasma that's okay it's delilah s Dawson. okay sorry why did i think she wrote? no that's okay i think claudia I knew it was gray a woman did bloodline did. and then she also did um leia i'm pretty sure leia Princess okay all right i haven't yeah. read that one yet uh, you know, I think that, um, well, I don't know, honestly, how it works. It could potentially, I could just be, uh, making a bunch of stuff up, but, um, yeah, no, I, I actually, I, I'm not sure I have necessarily an idea. I think definitely with this new round, this new canon, what's mm-hmm. just called canon now, I think they have potentially specific things that they want to, to do I, I feel like I feel like there's some sort of game plan because you can tell especially with the trilogy that you lent me the aftermath trilogy that it was very much I mean it was filling in the gap between the last Jedi and the force awakens mm-hmm. to sort of set up the the first order yeah. um, so, so I think I feel like that that's potentially what they're doing and then maybe I don't know I feel like you've got to sort of work your way up and have enough clout to be able to suggest you know can I do this character um cuz I just feel mm-hmm. like that those meetings are probably pretty intense over there at uh well I guess it's not Lucas film anymore but or wherever Yeah I know I know what you mean yeah Yeah and I also wonder like this is something that that I'm sure that people like Shag and Alan will debate with us do the James Bond and Sherlock Holmes novels oh. that are not written by the original author count as expanded or extended universe? That's interesting. You know? Because, yeah, like uh, Robert Ludlum uh, and his mm-hmm. uh, James Bourne, you know, he passed away and then the yeah. torch was carried. And then uh, Stig Larson and his trilogy, which was uh, published anyways at post-mortem, yeah. his uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, now yeah. that's been carried over someone else's already written two novels with that uh so that that's interesting i feel like i mean it's trying to carry on the same legacy though it's not like i would feel like it's an expanded universe if you took one of those characters and then did a spin-off series okay so if you took you know if you took for example Elizabeth Salander if you took that one and then you took maybe a, a minor character and then you decided to start a new series with that 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 would be okay. my thought what do you think about it no I, I think I think that's a really really good point because um, I was just thinking of that there have been James Bond novels that haven't been written by Ian Fleming and there I know there are plenty of Holmes novels that are written that you know where people were picked up on it but yeah you're right it's 
I, I think I think there's a case made for both, but I think the spinoff is probably the most like blatant, clear yeah. cut. This is an expansion of the of the of the uh, of the novel of of the character mm-hmm. and of the universe. There. Mm-hmm. Do you find expanded universes overwhelming? Uh, is one part of this question, and do you feel I find them also divisive? I think that they sometimes divide fans, and and why do you think that might be so? I think the Star Wars one got the even the new one. I think to a certain extent can be overwhelming um, to somebody who's not you know who's just kind of like going in and just wants to see what's there. I know the old one got overwhelming. Um, I checked out of the old EU pretty early, and um, by the time I was interested in checking back in, there was so much out there I didn't know where to start. Um, with Trek, I don't think that was a problem, but I think it's the nature of this two specific properties because to me the the novels that were made for Star Trek back in the 80s and 90s by pocketbooks or Del Rey or whoever was putting them out were just the further adventures of the Starship Enterprise so they were just basically if we had more seasons of the television show you know within the five year journey so this is just another mm. episode of Star Trek it's just in a book sure Whereas with Star Wars, I think they're trying to build a mythology, you know, on top of what's already there. And that's where I think it can feel overwhelming because you could skip a lot of the novels in that Star Trek world and not really miss much. So you could pick and choose what you wanted to read. But with Star Wars, you do feel this sort of overwhelming need to know what everything is. Even if you focus on a specific era, mm-hmm. it could be overwhelming. Because, like, am I getting everything? Am I missing something? You know, and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Divisive. I can see that they would be, but that's because anything in this nerd culture lately is divisive. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a character could be wearing the wrong hat in a Marvel movie and people will be starting memes. But, um, wah, wah. yeah, I know. Uh, but I don't know exactly where, unless it's a specific action that happens to a specific character. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think, yeah, I think there's also some division now, especially with this Star Wars, with the Legends versus uh, Canon, mm-hmm. as it's called. And so I think once, um, there's sort of a break, and, and you're basically telling people that, what, 20 years of stories, probably more, are no longer in canon. <laughs> I think that people might become uh, very upset. And I told Shag that I, I was very, you know, I was trying to empathize with this. And I was, I, I told Shag that, you know, I'm not there because I, I wasn't reading these older tales. And he brought up the fact of the new 52. And then I thought to myself, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's when you are reading something and then you're told that it, it doesn't work anymore. I think, you know, it's also divisive if similar to your JK Rowling 
example, if mm-hmm. if something happens that you don't like, then you are going to be upset, you know, because people it happens all the time with me and Barbara Gordon because you're invested in these characters. You're a fan. Right. And so mm-hmm. you have this idea of who you believe this character is and what he or she should be doing. And if that's not on track, then you're going to have some issues. And of course, there are going to be people who might believe totally different and they like the direction. So I think uh, it, it does create some divisions. And unfortunately, I feel like it's more divisive than it is creating discussions. I think it's more like, you know, let's have an argument about this. As for the overwhelming, I think po- possibly it could be my personality. Um, but uh, I like to start things when I know there's uh, an end to it. So, you know, Harry Potter it's not unreasonable to read seven books, even though, you know, once you get to five, five, six, and seven are pretty, pretty long. Mm-hmm. But when I think about all of the Star Wars novelizations <laughs> in, in the now legends, it is really overwhelming. And unfortunately, I feel like Star Wars, again, it could be my personality, but I really believe it's almost like a, lay, a Lay's potato chip. I feel like I should call it a lay potato chip, but we'll say Lay's because I just tried one and then, you know, people are feeding you <laughs> different things like you need to read that. You know, everyone's got their opinions about the best things to read. And then people that say they're your friends give you a black bag full of Star Wars books. <laughs> That's you, Tom. That was you. So, you know, and, and it's, the best thing in that yeah. bag is X. Go by Terry Moore. Oh my gosh! I, yeah, we need to have a Terry Moore mm-hmm. uh, podcast. Actually, we should but, do a Terry Moore show. Yeah, <laughs> but and but you appreciate it too because you know if you're friends with, with these fans, you trust them. So if they like it or they appreciate it and they're giving it to you, that's just because they're they're trying to share a part of that love. Uh, but it can just at, at times be overwhelming, and I had to take breaks. I remember telling Carolyn Coco, like you know, I just read the trilogy of Thrawn. I'm going to take a break and read a another type of book and she said that's probably a good idea so i think it's just it's potentially whatever the franchise is so some might be better than others i know robotech i think there's a lot probably 20 maybe there were like 21 total but one from what i remember 1920 and 21 came out like and they were just basically little chapters between the two between the different generations that, from what I've been told, are kind of extraneous. So it really okay. was like 1 through 18. If you read them in a row, you got the full story. Gotcha. And, but yeah. it was like, but it was also one, th- 1 through 12 were the television show. Okay. So they were a novelization of the television yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. 13 through 17 were the Sentinels, which mm-hmm. started with what they had produced and then kind of went in its own direction. And then 18 was like a big-sized novel that ended the whole thing. So it was both a adaptation and expanded universe. But it did have an end. It was just mm-hmm. a lot, and it was, you know, yeah. they're, they're cheap. But there is an end, yeah. There, there was an end. But, um, but yeah. some of these are they're ongoing. I mean, Star Wars, even if you were able to read all the legends, mm-hmm. which I guess is possible, you know, now they're, it's still ongoing. Which I guess it's easier to – I feel like I've actually read a great percentage of the – canon stuff now because of what you gave me and then other miscellaneous stuff so but yeah (laughs) well i i I am and i i think back to when i was um younger and i mentioned this i think briefly in our um 
either in our coverage of the Hound of the Baskervilles or in the in the mail section about that episode. In that I never really got into Sherlock Holmes, and I think the reason was that when I finally expanded beyond the kids section of the library, I went right to the adult section of the library. Because back when, back when I was younger, young adult literature existed, but it did not exist to the extent that it does now, especially for boys. And I, I don't want to play. I don't want to like be all traditional binary gender roles. Blah 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 blah. But at the same time, you know what? No, I don't want to. I don't want to like kind of cast those traditional gender roles on things. But the way things were marketed and are still to a certain extent, there were there were books for boys and books for girls, mm. and girls had and I'm sure if I wanted to read Sweet Valley High I could have read Sweet Valley High and nobody was going to keep me from reading it but a lot of girls I knew read Sweet Valley High and the Babysitter's Club etc etc and there wasn't you know beyond the Hardy Boys there wasn't very much and around the time I started kind of branching out into that adult section before I really hit the Stephen King type of stuff I was into science fiction and I was into action and I was into stuff like Star Trek and since the since the motion picture had come out they were publishing novels and they were all numbered but the thing was it was numbered in the same way the Hardy Boys were so you didn't have to it was not a series it was essential a bunch of standalone novels some of them did tie into one another especially because they were written by like the same author so there were like two where one was like the sequel to the other one but for the most part like I said a little earlier those were basically the further adventures of the Starship Enterprise so you could pick one up read it and it would be alright you know here's another episode of the show and that didn't feel overwhelming because I would pick up the book off the shelf I would look at it I would read the the back cover copy and if it looked interesting I'd pick it up if it didn't look interesting I wouldn't pick it up and mm. I think that's really important because you don't feel that you're missing out on anything. Sure. Um, the other thing they used to do with the Star Trek ones, they had ones that weren't numbered but were bigger because they were like special stories, um, like the first flight of the Starship Enterprise or the first meeting. Um, this is pre-first contact, the first meeting between man and Vulcan. Um uh, the, the kind of this, there was one I remember called Spock's World, which was this exploration of the history of Vulcan in, in addition to something that was going on with Spock at the time. And then um, there's an entire series of books called The Lost Years that were written. There were, I think, four of them, four or five of them, where it covered from the moment the five-year mission ended up until the motion picture. So the the gap between the two things and I read the crap out of those because they were really really cool because this is an era of Star Trek that like you know had never really been explored that much but uh, like I said you could pick and choose what you wanted to read about and there were a whole another there was a whole other Star Trek the Next Generation set of books there was Deep Space Nine stuff I'm pretty sure there were some Voyager ones um, I kind of bowed out before that had started anyway but to me that was like a really cool extended universe because you weren't on you didn't feel the pressure that you did with star wars because like i quit the star wars extended universe um about uh six seven eight books in so 
Were you just tired? Was it fatigue? Um, it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of me not having the time to read everything because of school commitments and comics. Um, because I think that was the other thing. My interest went from went went toward like comics and music and girls and things like that. And um, I remember. And then, like, most of the reading I did from the time I was about 16 or 17 up until I was about 2021, with the exception of a few things here and there over the summer, a lot of it was for school. Hmm. So I didn't have a lot of time for for leisure reading when I was, in, like, especially when I was in college. I was reading, like, a ton of stuff. But, um, yeah, I just kind of dropped off. It was I was, like, the Thrawn trilogy, the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson... The Truce of Bakura and The Courtship of Princess Leia were the were the books that I remember reading. And then beyond that, I never really read much else. And I read some of the Dark Horse stuff, but that started to get overwhelming as well, where it was mm. like, there's another series and another series and another yeah. series and another series. And I felt like, oh my God, when is this going to stop? How much do I have to pick up? Yeah. So. I guess it's a compulsion. It, Maybe some people can just dot yeah. around and, and other people like to do the whole thing. I mean, it's like uh, comic collectors, they like to be completists sometimes. Yeah. And I find it interesting that this works really well with sci-fi, fantasy, that sort of stuff. But it doesn't always work with other genres. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, like, you know, teen shows like your Dawson's Creek, your uh, <gasps> stuff like that. I don't know if they had novels, but I know that like some of them may have, but I don't think they're, I, those are probably more curiosities than anything, mm. you know, that sort of stuff. Um, sure. And, uh, or there were like sequel novels. Like, there was a sequel novel to my, to my so-called life that I think <gasps> maybe a few people have read. It's called my so-called life goes on. But I, I remember seeing it somewhere but never picking it up and reading it I've heard it's not very good oh, okay. um, because it was just basically somebody gave this idea to somebody and said okay well you can write it and it just never it took off but like the stuff like Doctor Who and who? Um, he's on first okay what's on second? yeah yeah, what's on second? <laughs> Did I derail your thought? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I I will say to to jump in there that I think that's what makes expanded universe novels so enticing is that it continues the story that mm-hmm. hopefully you've already latched onto. So you know, so my so-called life only had one season, thirteen episodes, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you were dying to know more about that little group, you could potentially pick up that novel, which I guess wasn't as, true. you know, as good. And with the Star Wars ones, what I've liked about it, I guess I should say, especially with Heir to the Empire, because I feel like now we're introducing more new characters with uh, the canon. So back in the Legends, you got to see more of Leia, Luke and Han and, you know, in different 
situations apart from Darth Vader and things like that. Or he got to explore people that may not have had a lot of screen time. Like, remember when I texted you about, I feel like they keep really pushing Wedge Antilles on us because yes. he pops up, he seems to pop up a lot. But, you know, you get to these favorite characters that you've grown to love and you really love watching on the big screen. You can still have them. They're not, they've not gone away. They're just with new adventures and, and perhaps you'll grow also to appreciate them more, which I feel like I, I like Princess Leia, but after reading the original Thrawn trilogy, I feel like I appreciated her strength even more than I originally did. And that's also true of Bloodline, too. I think you got a, a new sense of her in her political position. So I think that's one of the great things about expanded universes is continuing that story and learning more about characters that have already been established. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, do you have any other thoughts or things that you would like to ruminate on with with this section? No, um, I would uh, once again um, just I recommend I, I especially with with trying to dive into the Star Wars expanded universe. Um, I would recommend a library for that because if you try to dive oh, sure, into yeah. all the you you are going to end up and try to buy the books, <laughs> you're going to end up spending a lot of money. Uh, um, yeah. But there are a lot of libraries that have these things. I I I mean I to this day I can still picture the the science fiction paperback section of the Savile Public Library, and that building is no longer in use because they built the new building. But I can just picture it. It's 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 like clear as day in my mind and and so that it's it's like it's like a happy place for reading but old bookstores use bookstores like you know see what you can find they like those star trek novels i was talking about there's like a ton of them at the bookstore mm-hmm. I was mentioning. So there, and they, they also excel by the way for like romance novels as well um, if if we're yeah. talking about another genre of publishing or an area of publishing that's right up there with just the amount of the volume of work mm-hmm. that's been put out uh, in addition to science fiction and licensed property expanded universe it's like historical romance like it's just it's a it's been a, it was a huge money maker for decades for a lot of publishing companies and you go mm-hmm. to a used bookstore there's like a whole shelves of those of bodice rippers and then there's Bodice rippers, oh, yeah, heavens! Yeah, and then there's shelves of you know of, of all these both original works and novelizations and and all this stuff. So, find your local used bookstore. You can probably get a paperback for a few bucks, and so yeah, probably. Normally, they do like half off the cover price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, are we doing recommendations? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you want me to start since you went first last time? Please. Okay. Um, I've got, like I said, um, I would just have have fun tracking down um, old Star Trek novels. If you like Star Trek, don't worry if it's canon or not. Some of them are just really good stories, um, especially that Lost Years series uh, with Star Wars. Um, the recommendation that I had earlier, uh, which was... Pulling it up, Labyrinth of Evil, Revenge of the Sith, and Rise of Lord Vader is uh, courtesy of Mike Bailey and a few other people who said that those three novels, um, reading them in a row, really gives you a trilogy within the trilogy. Um, for me, I just finished reading the novel East Coast Crisis, which is a tie into the television series V, 
the Alien Invasion television mm-hmm. series in the 80s. I mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that novel. Um, there was another novel that I read that um, came out maybe about like 10 or 12 years ago called V, The Second Generation, which was a sequel novel uh, written by the original um, creator, Ken- Kenneth Johnson. Um, I would also recommend... If you can track them down, they are written by Chris Claremont with a story by George Lucas. They are called Shadow Moon, Shadow Dawn, and Shadow Star, I believe, in this trilogy. It is the trilogy, a novel trilogy, which is a sequel to the movie Willow, which is one of my all-time favorite fantasy movies. I read those back in the early 2000s. I think they've been out of print for many years. But I really do remember reading the, really remember enjoying those, and I'm going to try to track them down again because I don't know what I think I loaned my copies to somebody and never got them back. Um, but yes, yeah, so the Star Trek Lost Years series, there were four. Um, I think there were four. I remember uh, the Lost Years, a flag full of stars, traitor wins, and there was another one, but I don't remember the name of it. Uh, and then the Willow sequel trilogy, and that V East Coast Crisis was a really fun read as well. Hmm. Wow. Um, I remember being disturbed by Willow when I was a uh, small child, so maybe I should watch it again now that I'm an adult. You should. But, it's uh, a good movie. <laughs> I. Okay, so I, I first want to say that, uh, yeah, they're all going to be, I guess, Star Wars recommendations. I have read some Spider-Man novels, but it's been so long since I've read them that I can't really recommend them, uh-huh. I think, without without rereading them. So I will say that going on, I know that these are all the rage now, but top ten lists or saying, you know, I often Google, like, what are the best blank, you know, blanks to read, and they usually have pretty good ideas, so if you're ever wanting to explore or dip your toe in somewhere, you know, looking up the best Star Wars novels to read, I, I feel like you can't, I haven't gone wrong with with what I've read, because I did have done Air of the Empire and then mm-hmm. I'm currently reading Darth Plagueis, and I've heard good things about Darth, the Darth Bane trilogy, so I think people know what they're about talking that about as there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I' gonna do uh, my two recommendations. One of them sort of uh, <laughs> a cheat because there are two within the two, but I really can't recommend enough the the Thrawn the Thrawn story by Timothy Zahn and I really like the new one because it does not erase what had happened in the now Legends canon it starts from the very beginning when the Empire picked Thrawn up and you see his I guess we'll say humble beginnings and his rise through everything so it can very much be set before Heir to the Empire starts but I will also that, recommend Heir to the Empire, also mm-hmm. by... Do you want to cut in and say something? I was going to say the ending of Rebels kind of throws a monkey wrench into that, but there's a way, I think, to still tie it in because we don't know exactly what happened after the end of Rebels. Yeah, well, I assume that they're not dead. I'm going to assume they're not dead either, but like, you know, yeah. I was just saying like, you know, if he's dead, hopefully, oh, but you know, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? But I'm going to say, um, no, no, I've read too many comic books to believe that that's a death, you know? <laughs> yeah. And especially yeah. since at the end, um, Ahsoka and Sabine go off mm-hmm. to find Ezra. So I feel like Ahsoka knows she would know that, um, 
she would have a feeling, I think, if, if Ezra were killed. But uh, yeah, so so there's that. <laughs> but Heir to the Empire was also great because whereas Thrawn um, is very much focused on Thrawn and his little friend um, that I, I for whatever reason I, I forget his name. In Heir to the Empire, you like I said, you get Leia and Luke and Han, and then of course fan favorites uh, must kill Luke Skywalker must kill Luke Skywalker. Mara Jade, uh, the robot, of course. Uh, <laughs> I make people angry by making fun of her. Great story. Um, mm-hmm. It has uh, different elements that you're not going to encounter in the new Thrawn, but it picks up after the Return of the Jedi and Thrawn sort of trying to, to pick up the pieces of the Empire. I feel like he's more villainous and heir to the Empire than he is in Thrawn. Like, I have more... Um, Maybe empathy. I don't know. Maybe if it would be like sympathy towards him, maybe it's empathy towards him in Thrawn than I do <laughs> Heir to the Empire. But really a, a unique cast, and they also introduce clones in that little trilogy. So whether you want to try something out that's uh, older and not technically in canon anymore, or if you want to, to try something new, I really recommend the, the Thrawn series. And there's going to be a new book out. I think it's July. It's going to be Thrawn and Darth Vader. <gasps> By Timothy Zahn, so I'm yeah, I'm super excited about that. So that's my Thrawn little thing. I, I just think you can't go wrong. He's a very interesting character. Uh, one could argue, I think Shag did. I tried to defend Thrawn a little bit, my blue guy, uh, that he is a um, Gary Stu, sort of uh, impossible to beat, knows everything, uh, perfection. Uh, the the male version of Mary Sue, who, you know, who can do everything. In, um, I mean, he is very capable. In which, in both of them or in? I think in both, yeah. Maybe, I can't remember what Shag, Shag may have said like he, he was more fallible in, in one than the other, but I can't really recall because I feel like he sometimes makes mistakes, but mm-hmm. he's uh, he's a tough guy. Too, but he's really intelligent, so I, I think he's just uh, an awesome guy to try to go against. I, I, I see where you're talking about that. Um, I've never read the new books, but I did read, you know, I, I was one of those people who saw Air to the Empire on the shelves was like, what's this new Star Wars? And then like, <laughs> then like waited with bated breath for the other two novels to come out. I used to have yeah. them in hardcover. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I was like right there with the other two. And with that, though, I think you need Thrawn to be like that awesome of a villain because you're yeah. coming off where you had Vader and Palpatine. Like, you know, yeah. those are the only two villains anybody ever knew. So you need somebody who is that much of a, of a match for these, for our characters. Absolutely. Um, I would recommend that heir to the empire trilogy mainly because like you can see like where it all started. Oh, sure. Yeah. That. It's just almost like as a, as like a historical artifact. If you oh want. my goodness. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, Put it in a time capsule. Yeah. Yeah. My other thing is, unfortunately my sickness is spread to comics now. I don't like it, but, um, <laughs> I think there was a, uh, a BOGO deal on comiXology and it was for star Wars. And I had heard 
it touted that the Darth Vader run, which I guess is technically volume one, uh, was just really well done. 25 issues. I, I think uh, there's an annual in there. And it, and I decided to get it. I was tricked because there is a crossover. So while I got four digital trades, there was one that I was missing. But I have since completed it. Uh, I, uh, I still written, have to go back and get Vader. Uh, down, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. It works out because you're able to follow the storyline, but you're like, oh. Is Vader, is Vader down just as good as every uh, the rest of it? Oh. Uh, the crossover? I would say so. Yeah, it's okay. interesting because Leia's, like, you actually see interactions with Leia and Luke there. Okay, um, cool. So they're, at, yeah, because it crosses over Star Wars. Yeah. So this is written by Kieran Gillen and art mostly by Salvador La Roca. And again, 25 issues and uh, an annual. Now there's a, a second volume. So the second volume is written by Charles Sewell. So, uh, mm-hmm. depend, and that's before that. Okay. So the first volume takes place after the Death Star exploded in the new hope and then the second volume is basically after revenge of the sith just to give you a sense but i really like it because it makes vader way more sinister i think and um threatening and frightening than you see him portrayed on screen and i guess people in my opinion anyways and i guess people could be like well you know he's not supposed to be like that but just the fact that uh, also um the emperor is a little bit annoying because he lies to vader sometimes he like tests him in these weird ways and so you're also even though vader's like this sinister guy who's choke choking people to death uh you also feel bad for him so i mean good job writing that uh kieran gillen that you feel bad for this guy because you know you want him to succeed for whatever reason uh because the emperor is terrible i guess he's one of those people that you you love to hate kind of like sloan on alias maybe yeah um (laughs) but also what's amazing about vader is this cast of characters that it brings with him and especially dr afra which uh i've been reading her i started reading i gave hers a chance her her um story a chance as well just this really interesting sort of indiana jones tomb raider type person and she ends up helping darth vader out but you also know that i mean darth vader doesn't really have alliances so constantly he's threatening her that you know if you ever betray me <laughs> You're gonna, you're going to uh, die, and she can stand up for herself, but also there's a fear of that. And then you have a Wookiee bounty hunter. You've got these crazy uh, killer droids that they say awful, awful things, but the way they say it is also hilarious. Um, so it's just, I, I think it's a, a great series. And if you want to delve in more into the Darth Vader psyche and to see what it was like for him and Palpatine to pick up literally and figuratively the the pieces of the empire and start rebuilding i think it's a fascinating look into that so i would recommend it and and see you don't have to be overwhelmed that you know it's 25 issues but ongoing it's just you know you can get your omnibus if you want to or wait for a bogo sale (laughs) but just be sure to get vader down because it's a crossover that i think is like after volume three maybe or something like that so yeah so those would be my recommendations i I loved that vader series and i'm going to go back and pick up vader down when i get the chance but i i I highly agree Uh, if can i I just want to add one more since we're talking about comics and this is again this is an old school 
comic recommendation from back sure. in the late 80s, early 90s. Shadows of the Empire? No, those first... <laughs> I've actually never read that. I need to go read that. No, those first three in their original format, in their original form... Aliens comic series oh. that Dark Horse put out. Were, yes, and and sure. and I'm I'm very much of the uh, since I first read them when it was not like when it was like Newton Hicks before Alien Three came out and kind of you know and then they in reprints they changed oh, the name of yeah. the characters or whatever. Yep, yep, yep. But so it was mm-hmm. like Newt Hicks Ripley and everything. And that first series, like it's just. I just I have read the cover off of that book. I've loved it. So if you mm-hmm. could track down the original uh, Dark Horse Aliens series, or the first yeah. three of them, it was there were two called Aliens, and then there was the third one was um, sometimes it's, in some versions it's called Female War. It was originally called Earth. War, oh so. yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. You lent that to me, and I actually yes. got the. They have a recently, I would say, reprinted omnibus of it because mm-hmm. I, I bought it for a friend of mine who was getting into Aliens. So yeah, I recommend that too. Cool. Um, all right, so we have uh, we. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much I would teach this. Yeah. I think if I were doing like a pop culture oriented class, like mm-hmm. an elective, where we were looking at popular culture or something, but I don't think that this is something that I would end up end up teaching. Um, yeah, you know, maybe if you do like a character study yeah. on how characters are presented in like the main, mm-hmm. I guess, original work, and then pick a side work and see like what what opportunities or freedoms authors have to delve into characters, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. So uh, we do have a little bit of feedback. Uh, we have a Facebook message from way back in March from Derek Crabb. Um, he's talking about Beloved. He said he recently fi- finished listening to episode 15, and the brief talk of Beloved brought back some memories. He said he wanted to share a silly book report cover that he had to make back in high school, see if you can spot all the comic book art swipes. And it's this <laughs> school teacher kind of looks like Aquaman with a ponytail. Oh. Yeah, it's it's very 90s looking art. And, and Derek, thank you for I, I came across it today while I was looking at the Facebook messages. I don't know why I hadn't checked the inbox in so long, but um, Derek, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I, I got a laugh out of it. It was, it was really, really fun to see. So, um, But we do have an email uh, from Robert Ward, uh, which is about... The 1984 episodes. Do you want to go ahead and... Absolutely. Dear Tom and Stella, it's been a while for a proper email, but only because you two have been on such a stride. Christmas Carol, Holmes, Caesar, all have been covered so well. It's been a true delight to fall as your scholastic book buddy when the recent coverage are particular favorites. 1984 by George Orwell is a new one for me. I've wanted to read it for some time, but once again, required reading has provided a perfect excuse, and I finally got myself to read one of the classics. I'm not going to lie. It was rough. I couldn't go. <laughs> I couldn't. Now you know how I feel. I couldn't go a few pages without feeling utterly defeated and ready for a break. It was a great book, though, minus Goldstein, Goldstein's excerpts that you wisely called out to. I made a few comments on the post regarding Goldstein's being an obvious Trotsky and my love of the world. Orwell was able to construct and how brilliant I thought it was. But I do have a question. Perhaps it was one of the many originally included that had to be tossed out. 
But one I was truly hoping would be covered. I was really disappointed when it wasn't. So here it is for the two of you. What is your thought or what are your thoughts on the characterization of Julia? Personally, I found her extremely problematic and hard to realize. In researching online to help come to terms of my vague issues, I found an article that labels the book 1984 as flat-out sexist. I don't necessarily agree with the points or the overall charges, but found it did hit home to my niggling issue. I found Julia shallow and a bit selfish. I can see that it's reasonable for a woman to discover and enjoy her sexuality so that she becomes a rebel from the waist down, (laughs) but it doesn't sit well with me overall. I wanted more for her. I thought the book rested too much on Winston. Again, a completely valid decision if Orwell came up and wished to write the book this way, but one that makes it imperfect. Am I being too modern and sensitive? Am I being a bit absurd to feel that the book is being a bit patriarchal for not having a stronger core of characters the one true rebel seems to be winston and everyone else has already succumbed to big brother's control there are characters that pose risks and potential to be problematic but i wanted a larger rebellion to be displayed that doesn't sit well with the super bleak nature of the book but damn it i don't see why winston and julia couldn't find each other and foster their hatred more (laughs) foster their hatred sounds like an oxymoron this isn't something I realized afterwards, but one I instantly noted while reading. There needed to be more Julia. If the two of you could take some time, I would love to hear your academic thoughts re- regarding Julia and whether you felt she was well-served or not. As always, thanks for a great episode, and I can't wait for the next one, your Scholastic Book Buddy. Um, well, Thomas, why don't you take this one first? I agree that there could have been more Julia and less Goldstein. I don't think he said Les Goldstein. I inserted the Les Goldstein. <laughs> you know, you and I both think there could have been sure. Les Goldstein in that book. Of course. No, I I understand where a criticism of this being sexist in that Julia is a really underdeveloped character because she, yeah, she, she doesn't, she's like, she's almost like a plot device in herself in a way. And I don't think, um, I think she did need to be a little more three-dimensional. We need to see more of her motivation. Or we needed to see her start to develop more. You know, like, I, I think, I'm trying to go back, trying to go back to thinking about what we, what we did talk about. And I think um, when we got into the idea that that he was reading from the book and she was, like, falling asleep. And yeah, she was kind of parroting what he said. You know, like. She'll go along with it because she's going to go along with it because that way she gets sex with him. And is that really so? She is kind of a shallow character. And I think, had he de- even you could still have the bleak ending with her being more developed and maybe even showing that Winston actually was starting to have an influence on somebody. You know, like, maybe, maybe like, Orwell had them get arrested too early. Maybe he could have read some of the book to her, and they could have had discussions about the book, and he really could have started to to wake her up a little bit more. But then again, and again, this is now what maybe I'm looking at from a modern lens. By having a man do that to a woman character, is that still sexist anyway? Because, you know, the man's giving female... Um, agency or something like that but then again that's a whole other that's a debate we can have on twitter (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm sure we've seen that debate on twitter and pop culture 
but yeah, I think I think that she. It's one of the flaws of the novel is that she could there could have done more with her. Um, mm-hmm. You could have had her start out as a person like that. Um, now having her be such a shallow character to begin with, and having her be this sort of object, and the way Winston looks at her is sexist, but it reflects the sexism that is inherent in that society. There's no big sister. It's a big brother. It is a very patriarchal society. So you expect a significant amount of sexism within the book in Orwell's world building because of the nature of the world he builds. But, um, but yeah, I I think she's too shallow of a character. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I think without her, however, would Winston have started to go against the system because he was having these thoughts and everything. But I think it really took her giving him that note that one day to realize, oh, you know, there's someone else that in this action is, is going against big brother. Yeah. So she, uh, she's very much a catalyst. Uh, is she a catalyst, you know, that's just a plot device. I don't know, but you know, she is the fact that she, he's reading Goldstein and, I, I think Goldstein is is supposed to be important. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, why was it in there? He thinks it's important, and he's reading it. But she's not. Even though she's for the revolution, she's not as engaged as he is. And and uh, yeah, they just sort of repeat each other. I remember when they're when they're standing by the door. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, she. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back to. I remember there was an article about. Feminism and Rebecca, but I can't exactly remember what that is. Um, I, you know, I don't know if this is supposed to be like sexual liberation. And that's as far as women can attain or what. But yeah, she's a one note, but I think she serves the purpose that she's supposed to serve. I think the only reason that perhaps one would care about her is through Winston. The fact yeah. that he enjoys her company. And I think those are that's the only way that I can see any positive aspects of her character is because Winston cared for her, because she sort of awoke him um, to start uh, <laughs> raging against the machine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the end, yeah, it's, it's super sad. Uh, and I think it's more so sad because I did care about their relationship and, and you feel bad when they betray each other and then they're walking down the street and it's like they're practically strangers and, and they both confess that I betrayed you and then they walk off as if they, they, ever, they never knew each other. So I, I did feel some sort of connection, but again, I think Winston is the one who carries that, but I think she has an important part to play because you just have to ask yourself if she never gave him that note, uh, what, how, how would all this have changed? Perhaps it would have still gone down the same road, but I think it would have taken a longer time. Yeah. And looking back on on Robert's email, he said, yeah, I wanted uh, more from her. I thought the book rested too much on Winston. Again, a completely valid decision of Orwell came up and wished to write the book this way, but one that makes it imperfect, and then he wishes um, he wishes he asks, "Am I being too modern and sensitive?" And I don't think you are, because, Robert, because saying that the book is flawed or imperfect because or or it or it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster or whatever because of the way you're looking at it through more modern lens, I think that's a valid criticism. I get annoyed when people th- want to throw the book out or any book out because they're looking at it through a modern lens and because of 
one flaw in the book, they will condemn it. That's where I think that's being too sensitive because you're not really critically thinking about that. You're just kind of applying knee-jerk twittering to it or something like that. I don't feel that like you're doing that. I, I so I think I think it was a really really valid argument. I think we both hopefully explain things in a in a way that makes sense. Am I, and am if I making- not, you can just. You can just ask us to clarify in the next episode. Yes, we always love the feedback. Yeah. So that's about it, right? I think so. So, And I believe I'm the one who's picking for next episode. You are. I am, I am. So I have to give you my pick. Um, <gasps> remember, everybody, next episode will come out on schedule, but then we are skipping a month because uh, Stella mm-hmm. and I both have many commitments <laughs> June into July, uh, so um, that will that means that there will be no this uh, next episode will be coming out uh, in July, and then there will be no episode in August. So just kind of keep um, keep in mind that we are skipping a month, um, but next month uh, we're we're gonna go a little bit lighter. Uh, oh boy. Time around, we are going to go back to the graphic novel well. I can't believe it. Yeah, and uh, we are going to pick a young adult graphic novel that has sold um, quite a number of copies and has gained some fame and some infamy in some oh my. cases. It is a middle school graphic novel called Drama by Raina Telgemeier. So. <laughs> okay, is this because... I was talking to you about this the other day. Oh my goodness! Look, I do these things unintentionally. Okay. Uh So yeah, drama. Just know, people, that this wasn't his original pick. He changed it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, drama by Raina Raina Telgemeier, and I believe I'm probably mispronouncing her last name, but um, that'll be our next pick, Uh, and. As always, you can email us, leave comments on the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at RecReadingCast, that's R-E-Q ReadingCast, and um, we will try to put any and all feedback into the show, and please feel free to leave a nice iTunes review, we always love getting those. So, until next time, thank you very much for listening, and take care. And be sure to tell someone else that your canon is better than theirs. Yes, very big cannon. Biggest <laughs> big cannon. Oh. Good night. Night. for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two truths. That's two truths. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review on iTunes? If you're interested in following along with the books we read, you can do that and support us at the same time. Just go to twotruefreaks.com, click the Amazon.com link. Every purchase you make will go to support us and the other TTF podcasts. It costs you nothing extra, but it really helps us out. 
Thanks again for listening and come back next month for our next episode. Do you want to go high to the land of